0: Uh, this is a News Radio 1440 podcast.
1: Well, good evening everybody and thank you so much for being with us. It looks like our uh, screen capture is actually working here, so a pleasant surprise there there we go. Let me move over. You can tell that we're kind of doing this at the uh, the last second here. We're trying to pull all of this together and it's primarily just because, you know, this is a local debate. And uh, we don't have the capability because the technology is not there to draw it directly from CNN or Fox News or or one of the big national companies. Uh, This is a local TV station out of Dothan. Do want to give them a little publicity here for doing this. This is WTVY out of Dothan and they will be hosting the debate. By the way, we wanted to actually be there like live to, to record the debate ourselves and to use their feed and to actually be in the room but they have closed off the studio because of the concerns with the virus which is understandable i think it's a little extreme i think it's a little overly cautious but i understand why they didn't want like a big crowd i don't know why they couldn't let media in but nonetheless we are here on news radio 1440 to cover this they're giving their introduction now so we'll go ahead and go straight to them let's see see if this works
0: people and one of the things that i remember most is a young lady said to me she said uh... Barry you're the district and I said well what do you mean by that and she said well you have an AG degree you grew up on a farm and I did I grew up on a row crop farm in Batten's Crossroad, Alabama she said you're a veteran you served the military and I have and chaired military and veterans affairs of the state of Alabama my brother's retired lieutenant colonel I currently have a son-in-law who's in Iraq with 82nd Airborne so that was another thing she said and she said not only that she said you were early on with Donald Trump the first to endorse him in the nation a Trump delegate you stood with him through the fire through the campaign and even through the election and was at the inauguration. And last but not least, she said, you're the most dependable conservative vote in the Alabama legislature. You're a fighter. You're a man of courage. You're the kind of man we need. And so I'm honored to be here tonight. I think I can represent the district. Well, we need men of courage, men who understand this district. And I think I'm that candidate.
1: Solid introduction. See what Jeff Coleman responds.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Moore, Mr. Coleman. Good evening, everyone. Um, Jeff Coleman,
3: and it's my distinct pleasure and a great honor to be with you this evening. First of all, I give God the praise, honor, and glory for this opportunity to stand before you tonight and to run for the People's House, the United States Congress, the House of Representatives. It's a high honor and a respect that, uh, that I will give this particular office. As I said, I'm a businessman. I'm not a politician. I've never run for elected public said office. i politician I'm a 36-year ever. businessman and a 106-year-old family business so I know how to get things done, just like President Trump. And it's my great honor to have the opportunity to run for this office. My platform is three things, pretty simple. It's economic development, excellent quality jobs, which starts with education. Number two is our military and veterans. I have 80,000 veterans in our Hmm. second congressional district. I want to do everything I can to strengthen and innovate our military at Maxwell Air Force Base in Fort Rucker, Alabama. Our National Guard, our reserve component, and all of our great veterans in this district. And then number three is agribusiness. It's our number one industry in Alabama. Has the greatest impact in the second congressional district. I've been endorsed by the Alabama Farmers Federation Farm Pack. I'm humbled that and I greatly don't honored understand. to have that. They know I'm going to go to Washington and be a fighter, uh, an advocate, and somebody that gets results for them. The reason why I'm running is I want to serve our great country. I want to make a positive difference. And at the end of the day, I want to get results for you the people of this great district, and it's just such a great honor to be with you tonight. It's my privilege, and I hope everyone's safe and well. It's been a difficult period, this additional three and a half months from COVID-19. My prayers and thoughts are with everyone as we've adjusted to this disruptive environment. And I love this district, I love our state, and thank you for being, it's great to be with you tonight.
2: Gentlemen, thank you for those opening statements. We're gonna begin our questioning now. The first question is, whoever is elected to the second district seat, and I remind you, there will be a Democrat on the November ballot. That person, must I, I got to say, just
1: going off of the opening statements, one really, really big difference that I noticed is Jeff Coleman talked a lot about how people endorsed him. And he talked a lot about issues that frankly are important to district two. The difference is Barry Moore actually has done those things. So let's go ahead and join them back. A
3: great friend of mine. I've uh, I was with her when it really wasn't cool. She had an R behind her name. We did everything we could to take back the majority in the United States uh, Congress so I've worked with her for over a decade now she's been a great servant for our district has fought for our military
1: Martha Roby has and been and has a great servant
3: uh, as I said she's just been a great public servant
1: that's one I of the most insane things I've ever seen she's
3: done I'm grateful to have her support in this journey
1: and other than Sue Roby is by far the worst one from the Alabama on delegation. Armed
3: services and agriculture and all the great congressional committees that are very important to this district and I'm grateful to her. I thank her for her service. Uh, it's not easy to be in this arena and to be on an airplane every week and some of the sacrifices she made. So I'm wow. grateful to her. I thank her for her service. And I think she served us very well. Uh, not perfect. No, no elected officials perfect. But I think she served us well and, and has uh, done all she can for our district.
2: Mr. Moore. You know,
0: I, I ran with Martha in 2010, 2010. She was running for U.S. Congress. And I was That's running absurd. for the Alabama House of Representatives. and we got to know each other and became friends. We spoke at a number of events together. Martha was available for her constituents, and when I needed issues, Oh, local girls. I'm sorry, office, Barry.
1: I like you, but that's a bald-faced lie.
0: Um, she's done a wonderful job. You know, I, I, in a lot of ways, I know it's a heavy lift.
1: Like, there's a, there's a lot of he- compliments that you could say that kind of are not mean, but also sort of hedge what you're saying. To say that Martha Roby was available for her constituents is the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. I mean, uh, she basically did some media appearances before she got elected. Second she got elected, even during election time, you couldn't find her. She did only closed door uh, events to where you had to be invited. She made sure that the media never asked her any hard questions like both of these candidates. That's just a massive load of horse manure to say that Martha Roby was good and uh, with what Barry Moore was saying that she was accessible. I'm sorry. That's just a there, there's no the truth to that whatsoever
2: All right, thanks a lot gentlemen uh, I I have a follow-up question since since announcing that she would not seek re-election uh, Miss Robey has uh, seldom been seen publicly and her presence in the Wiregrass Well, it's been almost nonexistent in your opinion Has Miss Robey shirked her responsibility? And if so, will that make your job more difficult? Mr. Coleman
3: I think Martha's been accessible. I think, uh, as Mr. Moore said, she's been available to the district. I think it's been very difficult when you look at the challenges What universe are
1: these two living everyone in? Everyone
3: trying to remove President Trump, and she's done a great job as an appropriator, trying to balance the budget and doing everything she can to ensure Whoa! that military strong.
1: Balance so the budget? Martha Roby, who got got never saw a, point a point spending point. bill she it's didn't like? You have Has Jeff Coleman been sleeping through the, the past people people five terms? Oh, my gosh.
3: It's your seat. And i think that that is very important uh as i've seen congressman roby she's been throughout the district she's voted uh, for last year
1: we're We're 21 trillion dollars in debt and and she voted for every uh, spending measure that came up in her time in office
3: reach out to her she's got a great (laughs) (laughs) trying to balance the uh, the budget that's just her staff offices and they're working very hard for our veterans and all the services that her field offices provide so i think she's been a great leader she staffed her team well and they've served us well but i would love to see more of Congressman Roby, and I think we'll get an opportunity here when she comes home. All right, thanks a lot, Mr. I Morgan. think voting for Jeff well, Coleman
1: you know, will give us another year, Martha Roby. I've
3: seen a lot of uh, Congressman Roby, and it's not
0: hypercritical. I don't know what she has on her plate in D.C. There's a lot of things going on in D.C. right now. Okay, but some truth is coming out like now. See, and I think it's something we need to do more of: is be available in the communities, in the districts, on the weekends, no matter the county, no matter the town. I've been at different parades. I can't tell you. I've done Mardi Gras parades, one in the state, to the other. And, you know, just being visible for the people, but not only that, the town halls, I miss that. I miss that from the leadership in Congress, and we need to be available so that one-on-one we can talk to the farmers. We can understand the issues of getting them payments when they do these programs. Meet with the veterans and understand that, hey, they need help and they need service. And there's nothing like sitting down one-on-one with a congressman and knowing that you've been heard. And that's one of the things we want to do at Barrymore for Congress when we get there is make sure that we do our town halls. We meet with the people. Y'all know we do a lot of live events. We take questions all the time. And so being a public servant is all about a servant's heart. And I think I would like to see a little bit
1: more. Now, real quick here. Of these two, Barry has definitely been the more accessible, especially from a media perspective. He's done two or three interviews with me. I was in the same room with Jeff Coleman and couldn't even get him to do an interview with me. We were literally standing next to each other. I asked him to do an interview, and he couldn't find time to do it. So, like... I've reached out to his campaign, been promised interviews, and he hasn't. Barry Moore has been more than accessible. Sometimes he reached out to me. So if you're asking which of these two is more accessible, in my experience, it's been Barry Moore by a mile. ...delegate
0: and being on that train before it left the station, a little bit of panic in some of my Republican friends sometimes, and they'd be like, we don't think he's going to win. And I'd always say, look at the rallies. Look at the people, the, 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 the silent majority showing up to support him. And so I don't always believe the polls, but I will say this. Whether Donald Trump's there or not, we have a nation that's worth fighting for. Regardless if he's president, we have a group of people called Congress that needs to stand for the Constitution, stand for what we believe in, fight for the freedoms that so many died and gave us. And so I think at the end of the day...
1: Now, to Barry's Moore credit, Barry Moore's credit, he was absolutely right on that, and I was wrong. I, had, I absolutely did not believe that Trump was going to win the election he did. He was always very confident in it. He was very early on that train. That's actually one of the things that Barry Moore and I disagree on. But uh, he's 100% right on that. I mean, th- th- that is a true statement.
3: Freedoms that we enjoy. Mr. Coleman. Yes, I am, a, I am a strong President Trump supporter. I voted for him uh, in the 2016 election in the primary as well as in the general. I will never let him down. I've got his back all the way. We've got to do everything we can in the Republican Party to get him reelected. Because I think his strong conservative values and initiatives and, and programs that he's putting forth to get our economy back on track, the greatest economy we've seen in a lifetime. And I applaud him for that and his hard work and pushing back against the liberal socialist agenda in Washington that we, that we work hard to save this country, protect our Constitution and our rights. And I want you to know that Jeff Coleman will always be a fighter for President Trump. I'll always have his back. I will never let him down. And he knows that I'm there for him. But I think as we look forward, we have a Democratic government, and that's the that's the case. If he's not reelected and I'm in Congress, I'll be a fighter for the Republican Party and our free enterprise values and what we can do to help grow and prosper uh, our great district here in Alabama.
2: Thanks a
1: Now, politically, that was smart because while it doesn't really differentiate between him and his opponent there at all, because, I mean, I think Barry Moore is going to be pretty much the same, at least when it... Okay, not the same, but... <laughs> I'll hedge that, Um, but when it comes to President Trump and the support of him, uh, he's basically saying, even if Trump doesn't get reelected, voting for me is going to help that. that, That's a smart political message.
3: Uh, Smaller, less government, less taxes, uh, strong military, strong Southern border, and all the great values that us as Alabamians hold dear and near to our heart. So I'm gonna be a fighter, an advocate, and a, uh, and a champion for our interest in this great second congressional district. And I'll push back hard against the socialist agenda that we're seeing in this country. It's despicable. And we've got to push back hard against that as Alabamians and show them what we're all about and to help President Trump and do everything we can to help strengthen uh, all the things about this district. Uh, so I'm grateful for the opportunity to run for this seat and, and we will win it. This is a Republican district And uh, we get out and vote, and uh, we've got great teams and and hard workers. And I'm grateful for our Republican Party, the Republican Party women, and all of our groups that work for our party. So I'm grateful for their work and what they do to make a difference uh, in this district. Mr. Moore. If Joe
0: Biden is elected, then more than ever, we need true conservatives in Congress. This district is a conservative district. It's represented by a number of veterans, hundreds and hundreds of veterans, thousands of veterans throughout the 2nd Congressional District. And not only that, the ag industry that's here and the ag science majors that come out of college in this area looking for jobs. And I can tell you would this be when me. I was in the Alabama legislature, we made sure we brought jobs and we served the veterans. The package of bills, I was able to work across the aisle. You know, what if Joe Biden is president? i tell you this, we brought a package of seven bills through my committee when I chaired military and veterans affairs. It brought the F-35s to Alabama. We did that by name on the red tails. Alabama had the Tuskegee Airmen. That great squadron in World War II that esc- escorted those bombers into Europe and back out. They did a tremendous job. And we were able to reach out to our colleagues across the aisle and say, let's bring the F 35 fighters to Maxwell Gunner. Let's bring them to Alabama. But at the end of the see, day, see, this is Barry
1: Moore playing to his strengths. To
0: the time is not over that we can work across the aisle. As long as we don't ever. Con-
1: because what Barrymore needs to play to right now is his experience and that he's actually done things. Because if, if I were advising Barry on how to handle this, I would try to draw almost every single point that I make back to, okay, this is what Jeff Coleman is saying he's going to do. Now let me tell you about things that I've actually already done.
3: Ran on in 2016, promises made, promises kept. We are building the wall. We've got to secure our southern border because we've got a lot of bad things coming across that border that create problems for our society. Uh, drugs, human trafficking, and all the problems that we see that comes from an open border. We've got to be a secure nation. We've got to do everything we can to help President Trump build that wall and then have legal immigration in this country and move forward together. But the first thing we've got to do is secure that border. It's Too much risk, too many bad things coming across, terrorism and other things that create problems for our society. So I applaud President Trump. I will support him 100 percent. I will never let him down. I'm a, I'm, I'm a contributor, I'm a voter, and I'm a strong fighter for President Trump. And I applaud him for what he's done to stand up.
1: Uh, this is one thing I'm afraid of the debate evolving into. And I get that in Barry Moore's case, he's been a Trump supporter for a long time, that Jeff Coleman's kind of running on that. But I, I really don't want what happens in most Republican primaries nowadays, which is the contest is basically who likes Trump the most. That's unfortunately what Sessions and Tuberville have basically made it into in their race that's coming up on the 14th as well. I I hate to see that, but I have a feeling that that's what it's going to turn into.
0: The wall needs to be there. You don't have a nation without borders. And this is a country that we welcome immigrants if they come through the process legally. But we need to know who's coming into our country and make sure that we can monitor that amount and we can control the flow across the border. Because without that control, without the control of flow, we tend up, we end up, DISPLACING AMERICAN WORKERS. PEOPLE COME IN HERE AND THEY WORK UNDER THE SYSTEM, AND AT THE END OF THE DAY, WE DISPLACE AMERICAN WORKERS. IN A LOT OF CASES, MINORITY WORKERS. AND IF WE BUILD A WALL, WE CAN PROTECT THIS NATION, WE CAN KNOW WHO IS COMING HERE, AND LET PEOPLE GO THROUGH THE PROCESS. MAKE IT FAIR. LET PEOPLE GO THROUGH THE PROCESS, BUT AT THE END OF THE DAY, IF YOU DO NOT KNOW WHO IS COMING TO YOUR COUNTRY AND WHO IS VOTING IN
2: YOUR ELECTIONS, YOU REALLY TRULY DON'T HAVE A NATION. FOLLOW-UP QUESTION FOR that, uh, uh, THAT QUESTION. Uh, how can you call for the construction of a wall when there are 37 million Americans who are hungry, 11 million of those are children? How do you respond to that, Mr. Moore? This
0: well, you a know, one thing, whether there's 11 million Americans or however many children there are here that are hungry, bringing people across the border that are working illegally does not help that issue. It crowds the inner cities, it crowds the job market, and it displaces American workers. So to protect the American jobs, you feed the American children. And I think at the end of the day, we have to bring American jobs back to this country, secure our border, know what we're doing. And that's a a matter of national security. Having jobs in America and a secure border, that's all a matter of national security. Mr. Coleman.
1: He didn't really stick the landing there. I got where he was going, but he didn't articulate it all that well. What he was trying to say, I think, granted, I'm I'm speculating a little bit here, was that uh, we... What he was trying to articulate was, I think, probably the second best way to handle that question, which is that when it comes to food, we can't, um, you know, we we can walk and chew gum at the same time, and allowing illegal immigration depletes our resources even faster and takes food out of the mouths of children that are, you know, on welfare, on the food stamp program, that kind of thing. It depletes our resources that way. And so you could say the two are connected. Now, the way I would have handled it is saying that's not a national uh responsibility that's up to the states but anyway um we'll go ahead and and postal listen service in
2: receives no tax dollars and is struggling to stay afloat but for many americans it is a supply chain that delivers life-saving medication and it's important correspondence now there are uh, nearly a hundred postal service facilities in district two some of them have already closed others are in danger of closing should the federal government have a role in postal service operations mr coleman
3: i think when you look at the postal system and what we have today that has been built on it's a great system that's intact it cannot be duplicated by private enterprise there are other private entities that can do that we've seen that in the great uh, you know growth and explosion of online sales through amazon and and walmart and all of our online sellers but but i do think they use primarily the united states postal service. Our, our mail mail's changing a lot in our world is now so we will pivot we're having a lot that's done digitally. We've seen that in this COVID-19 environment, that everything's online now. We can be more efficient. But I am for a smaller, more efficient government. So I'm not for another bureaucratic government handout or a program that we establish. But we've got to do, we've got to ensure that our citizens receive their mail in a timely manner in, in the format that it's about. But I think there will be ways to migrate to a private system uh, that will allow us to do that in a way that I think is effective and efficient and saves our hard-earned tax dollars. For our-
1: okay, well, that was about as clear as mud because he said it couldn't be duplicated, but we should move to a private system. That doesn't make sense. Indeed
3: in America,
0: at the same time, they are able to raise rates from time to time, and that is their revenue streams. I do understand that that, that can be difficult in some situations, but we need to allow them to, to modify rates if need be to be competitive. But at the same time, there's always that private sector issue out there. And if the private sector can do it more efficiently than the federal government, at the end of the
2: day, I always support private sector. Now, while the federal government, I have a follow-up to that question. While the federal government does subsidize. Why is he sticking
1: on this subject? This is a minor issue at best.
2: It does routinely bail out private enterprises, such as the auto and aviation industries. Do you support those bailouts, Mr. Moore? No,
0: I, you know, I You'd was have a to opponent it. kind of against the bailouts. I think it was a lot of political play in the, in the bailouts in the auto industry um, in the Obama administration. And I think a lot of times that money went to the unions and to the special interest groups and didn't really go to the workers. So anytime there's a government bailout, that lands a bill in the taxpayers in, in our laps, and we have to pay that back. Any, there's no such thing as free money. If the government's printing the money, then at some point it's going to devalue your currency. Are you going to have to raise taxes? Are you going to have to work for generations to pay it back? So I'm not for bailouts. I think industries ought to stand on their own. But I'll tell you what Ronald Reagan said. Ronald Reagan said the government's idea on the economy, if it's moving, you tax it. If it keeps moving, you regulate it. And when it fails, you subsidize it. If would <laughs> reduce taxes and <laughs> that is regulations, a great quote. these auto industries, these aircraft manufacturers wouldn't need our subsidies. Capitalism is the greatest system in the world for raising people out of poverty. People come from all over the world to experience this system and our freedoms. So Reagan was right. If we were reduce taxes and regulations, Ronald Reagan was super successful early on by getting rid of a number of regulations that kind of kickstarted our economy, and that's why you're seeing the growth we're seeing in the economy
3: now is reduced regulations and tax cuts. Yeah, I do not believe in balance. I believe wholeheartedly in capitalism and our free enterprise system. It's what made America great. It's what President Trump's been pushing forward with with all of his might, and I certainly support him in that. So I don't see any reason why our government should get involved in, uh, in industry in a way that would help them in a bailout in, a, in an emergency situation. Now we have seen conditions of late in the COVID-19 when we've seen uh, the CARES Act and the relief efforts that have been put forth to our small businesses and the PPP and this great, uh, the, the environment we're dealing with in the COVID-19 global pandemic. Those availability of that capital on those uh, loans have been very helpful to our, to our citizens, to our small business and men and women. But I believe in the free enterprise system, smaller government, lower taxes. And the only way you can pay for a bailout is you've got to tax it and regulate it. So I, I, I do not support that.
2: All right. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. We're going to take a quick break right now. And uh, for a moment, don't go anywhere. We'll be back in about 90 seconds with more. All
1: right. So they're going to a commercial break. So a couple things, first of all, with Jeff Coleman's most recent answer, the one that he was talking about bailouts Uh, I got to say, one thing that's really, really odd about that and and the way that he was describing it is he said, basically, I'm against bailouts, but there is this one bailout that happened that I'm in favor of. Now, granted, I I get that that's tough in a debate setting to give nuanced answers because the time doesn't really allow for it. Um, But when it comes to these things, I think you can actually logically bridge that gap. I, I think that you can make the case. I don't think it takes, you know, five or six minutes to explain it either. Now, granted, I'm not exactly the king of brevity, but I think I could pull that off. You could make a distinction between a government-caused catastrophe, which, of course, COVID-19 isn't government-caused. Well, not our government-caused. China Uh, government-caused is not government-caused in the sense that they're the ones that created the problem, but they are the ones that mandated businesses shut down. And so you can make a logical case That there needs to be an exception when the government is telling you, no, you can't go out and get revenue. But the problem is with the CARES Act, that thing was chock full of pork. It spent way too much money and a lot of the, the businesses that actually really needed the help didn't get it. It was primarily the big guys that were deemed too big to fail, just like the bailouts that were happening in the late Bush years and early Obama years. And so it doesn't really make sense to say I'm against bailouts, but I'm for this one and not offer an explanation for that, which is essentially what Jeff Coleman just did. Uh, Barry's answer was a little bit more generic. Um, I, I, frankly, I like the fact that Jeff Coleman brought that issue
2: up, but he didn't do a great job of explaining it or his position on it So Trump appeared on Alabama's primary ballot in 2016. You did not vote for him. In fact, you didn't vote at all. Uh, you say you forgot. If that's the case, how can we trust you to remember to vote in Congress?
0: Yes, I did support Donald Trump as a matter of fact, the first elected official in the nation to endorse him. I was with his bus tour in the Wiregrass spoke on his behalf. I was with him in Birmingham. I was a Trump delegate. My daughter Kathleen was the youngest Trump delegate in the nation. To question my support for Donald Trump just is almost laughable to be honest. It really is. However, I honestly wish I could 1st, question it. 2016 I WAS IN THE LEGISLATURE in, IN MONTGOMERY, ALABAMA VOTING MY DISTRICT, AND THAT DAY I WAS ELECTED AS A TRUMP DELEGATE, BUT IT WAS MORE IMPORTANT TO ME TO VOTE FOR MY 46,000 CONSTITUENTS THAN LEAVE THE SESSION EARLY AND COME HOME TO VOTE. THE DAY I WAS ELECTED TRUMP DELEGATE, THE DAY MY DAUGHTER WAS ELECTED A TRUMP DELEGATE, YOU KNOW, AND LATER I BROUGHT A RESOLUTION IN THE, in the HOUSE, ON THE FLOOR OF THE ALABAMA HOUSE OF REPRESENTATIVES, FOLLOWING THE OBAMA ADMINISTRATION, ENCOURAGING EVERYBODY TO SUPPORT DONALD TRUMP, OUR U.S congressional delegation. I was at his inauguration. Unwavering support for the president. I've never wavered once. I missed one vote in 10 years in a Republican primary or general election, and it was because I was working for my district.
2: I have a follow-up for you, Mr. Dang. Super PAC Club for- That votes. is
1: sticking the landing right targeted, uh, there. They
2: targeted Mr. Coleman in a series of campaign ads. Now, this PAC opposed Donald Trump for president in 2016, but it seems to have altered its stance on Mr. Trump since then do you welcome the support of this club for growth
0: giving to your campaign absolutely club for growth supported ted cruz he was a longtime member and if you know anything about ted cruz he's a fighter a conservative fighter so they supported ted my brother retired marine lieutenant colonel voted for ted cruz in the primary he's out of texas but a lot of people after that saw that donald trump was going to do what he said he would do And they came on board, Club for Growth came on board, a conservative organization that is currently fighting the uh, Lincoln Project, who is trying to, they're trying to rally around old Republicans to come against the president. They are the swamp. There's out of the.
1: Yeah, the thing is, trying to come after Barry Moore on his Trump support is frankly just kind of dumb. I don't know of another way to describe it. Like it's, he, he's he got one of the longest, most pro-Trump records of anybody. And, and I don't, I'm saying that as somebody that doesn't necessarily see eye to eye with him on everything concerning that, but uh, he does. I mean, there's no question about that.
3: Just like he does. These special interest insiders are just recycling the same old tired attack ads on me, Just like they did President Trump in 2016. Boy,
1: he is reading his notes heavy right there. That
3: my opponent forgot to vote for Trump in the primary. It (laughs) didn't work then, and it won't work now. The people of the 2nd District of Alabama are sick and tired of these outside billionaires and millionaires coming in and spending millions of dollars in despicable, nasty attack ads against a solid conservative Republican, an outsider just like me. And just like president Trump,
1: aren't you a millionaire?
3: Put $7 million dollars against president Trump in the 2016 Republican primaries for president. That's wrong. It's wrong in Alabama and we must push back against it and reject it. And I will tell you, they have no business in Alabama,
1: man. I'll tell you, I haven't seen anybody look at their notes that much while doing something like this. It's Ilhan Omar. He, that was awful.
2: Money is egregiously wrong. I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm If I missed it, I I, I may have missed it. Did you answer the question that whether or not you did give to the Democratic candidate in Hawaii? I'm a businessman, just like President Trump, and I know how to play the game. Is that a yes or a no? Uh,
3: That would be. I'm a businessman, just (laughs) like President Trump. I would tell you if you want to. Which means he did. He absolutely gave uh, to Democrats. I'm doing everything I can to fight. When they brought up that one, that's hilarious. Our national pack, uh, it was wrong. Uh, this was my national pack for the American Movement and Storage Association that I was on the board of, and they gave money to Democrats. That association did. <laughs>
2: well, thanks a lot. That, that, that's your answer. Now, the, uh, this question... Oh, he all totally
1: nailed him on that one. ...in
2: this country right now to remove Confederate monuments, and that's something that President Trump has said he does not support. Do you favor or oppose the removal of monuments?
1: Ah, uh, This is a sticky one right now.
2: Look, the radical socialist left will stop
3: at nothing to fundamentally transform our great country oh man they aren't just tearing down our statues they are banding that we destroy our fundamental American landmarks like Mount Rushmore they are tearing down our statues of abolitionists they're even trying to remove statues of our founding fathers like George Washington you can tell he wrote and this ahead of time enough. is just reading it I absolutely stand with President Trump in opposing any effort uh, to to take down these monuments and statues <laughs>
0: You know, Winston Churchill said, appeasement is like feeling, feeding a crocodile and hope he eats you last. The monuments that they started with, you know, I was in the Alabama legislature and I brought, I co-sponsored the legislation to protect our monuments in this great state. Men who fought, fought on both sides. But at the end of the day, if we allowed them to destroy the Republican monuments, or the not the Republican, but the, the, the Confederate monuments, and now they moved to Abraham Lincoln, and now they've, even recently, THEY'VE they've DESTROYED MONUMENTS THAT WERE PEOPLE WHO WERE ABOLITIONISTS. FREDERICK Douglass, WHO SPOKE AGAINST SLAVERY, WHO WAS A GREAT REPUBLICAN ELECTED IN THE LEGISLATURE MANY, MANY YEARS AGO. AND THESE MONUMENTS, AS YOU BEGIN TO DESTROY THEM, YOU ERASE YOUR HISTORY. AND HITLER SAID IT, HE SAID, IF YOU TELL A LIE LONG ENOUGH, LOUD ENOUGH AND OFTEN ENOUGH, PEOPLE WILL BEGIN TO BELIEVE IT. WE MUST NOT FORGET OUR HISTORY. WE LEARN ANYTHING FROM THE BIBLE. Those men were failures in spots. They were successes in spots. But the thing that makes it understandable is none of us are perfect. Our nation is not perfect. Our history is not perfect. But we're the greatest nation on earth. We must defend our history. We must educate our children on our history and be proud of this
2: great nation.
1: Okay, he got off to a rocky start, but he got better as he went.
2: For renaming military installations that bear confederacy or other controversial names, including Fort Rucker right here in our backyard. Is that something you would support, Mr. Moore?
0: No, I wouldn't support renaming any of these bases. You know, the uh, legacy that is there—the people that left and went off and fought wars, foreign, foreign lands—they fought wars. We, you know, we defeated a lot of the war on terror from those bases. My son-in-law, who's just deployed from Iraq, to Iraq from Fort Bragg, his granddaddy went through Fort Bragg. That's a legacy yeah, that. Bragg I Bragg is actually named anything. after
1: a Confederate it's general. It's a tradition, as
0: well. and I don't—I wouldn't in no way support renaming those
3: bases. Mr. Coleman. We cannot have a present and a future without recognition of our past. I absolutely stand with President Trump, unlike my opponent in the 2016 primary, (laughs) in opposing any effort to rename our military bases in our country. The Democrats are just using this as another disguise to enact radical leftist ideas and policies, and we must push back against it.
2: While each of you have accused the other of evading public appearances, including meetings of local Republican groups. Now, if indeed you have ignored constituents before the election, how do we know you won't ignore them after the election? Mr. Coleman
3: there, I have not ignored any meetings whatsoever. Everything that we had as a result of the meetings we've missed of late came as a result of COVID-19 and the reopening of the campaign trail as a result of that short time period, we lost months and months on our campaign trail, and it's even changed the environment that we operate in today. Many of those meetings were brought to us, and we, we could not fit them on our schedule. I've been out working very hard over the last 30 days in small business roundtables with men and women throughout our great district to understand their needs and what their challenges are and what I can do to help them. So I've gone to the people. Now, I would answer that. I've, I've attended over 10 of these Republican Party uh, forums and He meetings. has missed the, the last primary, five. We've meant went to everyone that was available to us. I love the Republican Party. I love the Republican Party. women. Just, just so
1: you know that, we, he has missed the last five uh, GOP meetings, and it seemed like he just now started getting, I don't know, a fire lit under his butt because the polls were not kind to him, the last ones that came out. So now he's actually doing that. I really do feel like he's going to be just another a warm body in Congress if he gets elected, kind of like Ruby was.
3: We've been very busy reaching the people and trying to earn their votes.
2: Mr. Moore.
0: You know, right after COVID-19, we began to go out as soon as they would let us and start meeting with the local groups, the Republican groups. And I've been at five forums. As a matter of fact, I answered questions for an hour and a half the other night in Andalusia, Alabama, because other candidates were scheduled to be there but I always want to show up and I think you know it's, we've said this about our campaign for a for a long time is this, if you campaign among the people you were governed for the people if you campaign from an ivory tower you will govern from an ivory tower see now that's the so epitome of what the House of Representatives is supposed to be not just a single be. meeting we've been invited to we've always shown up we're happy to answer the tough questions I think it's important that the people get to know who will be representing them. and at, at the end of the day You've got to have men of courage who can face the tough questions and women of courage. If we're going to Congress with the current political environment, if you do not have courage, you will hide out up there, too. We need people to step forward who will answer the tough and it questions. it is easy to events, hide in D.C. Go to the forums, go to those venues, and let people know you're a fighter because they, they believe in this nation. And they believe in
2: you and believe in your ability to fight. All right? Gentlemen filled field officers. I at their provide, hotel bill that, that they have. Between elected officials oh. in Washington and their constituents back home if you are elected how many field offices do you plan to maintain mr moore that's an you know, interesting currently there question are three field
0: offices and i, I and it I, that my plan is right now to maintain those three field offices i don't know exact locations necessarily but they will be in similar locations geographically for the voters one other thing i would like to do is have a representative in the va hospitals each week so that As those veterans are at their appointments, they can come across the hallway and meet their veteran or meet their congressman, their representative for that office. And so not necessarily have them in an office somewhere, but have them out in the field at important locations so they can meet the needs of the district. And like I said earlier, we don't have plenty of town halls, so we will be readily available, but there will be three offices like there currently is, and we'll we'll serve with a servant's heart. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what this public service is about. It's a calling. I think you need to serve with humility and be available. Mr Coleman. Uh, the field
3: offices are a vital resource to our district. Uh, they're in the population centers throughout the district, north, south, uh, and west. And uh, they're very vital to the, to the needs of our district and the people. You've got to have access to your Congress office and, and all the great people that work in those. I applaud Congressman Roby for the team she's put together. We do that with the means of, of protecting your tax dollars. Why does he have his lips are on Roby's Those dollars spot. that run those offices. And it's very important that we operate them with efficiency and effectiveness to take care of your needs and all the things that are going on in the district. We get to hear. We get the feedback from our great citizens to understand what we need to do on the hard issues in Washington and continue to fight on your behalf, uh, and I'll be that fighter for you. But I'm grateful to all the team members on Congressman Roby's team, and I'll continue to maintain those offices to the best of our ability and to continue to reach out to our citizens like we've been doing uh, thus far, but we want to continue those offices
2: we're going to give these gentlemen a moment to get a breather and take a break. And we're going to come back in about 90 seconds. Hope you'll join us on the other side of the break.
1: All right. So a couple things that I wanted to bring up here, uh, since we've got a second to do a little commentary, first of all, I really, I didn't do a drinking game for this one because I wasn't sure what they would be. Like, Trump and and Biden are in the media so much that it's real easy to come up with a list of things for a drinking game. Of course, I'd be drinking sweet tea, not alcohol. Uh, But but if I, I now know in retrospect, if I could go back into the past until... Uh, five o'clock, Caleb, how to prepare for the show, I would have said, okay, you got to take a drink every time Jeff Coleman mentions that Barry Moore did not vote for Trump in 2016. But remember that the reason that he didn't do that was not because he didn't want to or that he didn't support him. First of all, he's in freaking Alabama, the reddest state in the country. There was zero chance that it was not going to go for President Trump. And so Trump losing his vote was not going to be something that caused any difference and he decided he did a priority check okay what's more important to me fulfill my duties as a congressman as a representative of the people or to go out and make basically a a ceremonial vote that doesn't actually make a difference i mean if you're in that position if you're looking for qualities that would be for the the things that you are looking for in a house representative You'd have to go with that, I mean you'd have to go with the guy that says, "I would rather go with this instead of the symbolic vote that's not going to make a difference." The second thing, I find it weird that they keep going back to Martha Roby. Martha Roby was not that popular. she's outspent Becky Garrettson. 13 to 1, and still was only able to secure about 60 something percent of the vote, even when Becky had way less name recognition. So, the idea that they need to kiss Martha Roby's butt is a really odd instinct that they have. Martha Roby was not popular, she was just an entrenched incumbent that was hard to get rid of because of her name recognition. Anyway,
2: activity raised questions about your managerial abilities.
3: That particular question has been answered many times throughout this campaign process. It's a despicable political ploy and a nasty negative attack against me. That question has been answered through and through. Our company fought that vigorously for over two years, and the overwhelming majority of that case was settled. And upon that uh, overwhelming majority of throwing out the case, we made a business decision to settle it. Our company has done this. Well, now, hang on. States throwing out and settling aren't the same thing. For over years, and we continue to do that today. That says a lot about our company, our 2,500 teammates that serve the United States military each and every day.
1: You notice he didn't that say that they didn't do it. They were cheating the United States military, military, and, that and that's the answer. reason that they settled. You know, they they keep saying, well, we settled, but they never say that it didn't happen. The military also didn't say that it didn't happen.
2: ...to move military families under a Department of Defense contract, and you've indicated that you would recuse yourself if there is a legislative conflict in Congress question is should that raise concerns about your ability to govern absolutely fantastic question that was
3: a, a question that came early in the campaign trail we have no contracts the united states military we're subcontractor. i will not have to recuse myself on any issue my goal is to go and serve on the armed services as well as the agriculture committee and be a fighter just like i've been doing for the last over 15 years on the friends of fort rucker the friends of army aviation and as your civilian aide to the Secretary of the Army for the last two terms, I've done everything I can to fight for our military, and I'll continue to do that. I do not have to recuse myself. I'll vote on every issue that's available to us. I'm going 100% to serve as your Congressman with honor, humility, integrity, care, and respect, and I will vote on every military issue. I'm going to be a fighter for military modernization and the future vertical lift. And all there the should have been an also drinking a nice game for every time space. he says the word Our military strong and growing and prosperous and that's our veterans as well as our active duty and reservists. I know the military I've been moving them for over over 40 years in my career. I love them.
2: Mr Moore, uh, you are an avid supporter of term limits and you actually kept your promise to serve only two terms in the Alabama legislature. If you're elected to Congress, do you promise to serve for a specific period? And after you answer that i'd like to hear from mr coleman on this same matter yes I, I served two terms
0: in the alabama legislature and that's what i told my district i would do it was never about a career for me it truly was public service and you know i was able like i said to vice chair of small business and commerce for my first four years and then i do have tremendous respect for very for I that too. A number of bills but at the end of that eight years i felt like i had done my time i had served my state i'd, I'd you know been a proud proponent of president trump and helped him get elected and so You know, I would serve. I've already signed a term limits pledge for Congress, and I've agreed to do that. Now, that supports legislation to limit everyone. I can't say for sure, Reggie, I'll have to pray about exactly how long I would serve. I feel like 10 years, you know, that's five, two year terms. And, you know, it takes a little time to learn your way around. Now, in the Alabama legislature, it took me a year or two to learn how to move bills through committees, through the floor, and then to the Senate and out to law. And so it takes a little time. I have that behind me, I have that experience. The process is exactly the same on a microcosmic level, but we will pass those bills and be able to do those sort of things because of our experience. But I don't think it should ever be a career, and so I've, I've signed the term limits pledge. I would support legislation to get rid of the likes of Adam Schiff, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Clean House, and let's get
2: people that are a truly representative government. Mr. Coleman, your position on term limits.
3: I strongly support term limits as long as it applies to everyone. I think right now we do have term limits. It's called an election every two years. It's the people's house. It's your seat. So you You're do, not happy but you do Your congressman, vote them out. That's the process we have. That's our democratic process in our constitution that's available to us. I'm not interested in giving Nancy Pelosi, uh, Adam Schiff, or any of our, our liberal AOC and the squad uh, more power in Congress. We've got to do everything we can. That well, wouldn't give them to the more sure power. Make sure that we take that seniority away. And if we term limit ourselves, we take away our ability to go to Congress and fight on your behalf with your conservative Alabama values. And I'm going to be that fighter for you. So he's got no intention of
2: term-limiting himself. In other employment. words, insurance premiums are putting quite a burden on families and many hardworking Americans. They're caught in the tough spot. They earn too much to receive free health care, but they don't earn enough to afford health care premiums. We want to hear specifics. I mean, real specifics from both of you on how you believe this issue should be addressed, Mr. Coleman.
3: I applaud and stand with President Trump and his efforts to reform our health care system. After the radical leftist Obama and Joe Biden wrecked it in 2012, and also Just after reading the off caucus, that
1: manuscript, man. supports
3: my opponent, refused to get on board with President Trump and repeal Obamacare and support the American Healthcare Act of 2017. more wasn't in
1: Congress. Then. To support
3: President Trump and his plan to protect Medicare and lower drug prices and create a more transparent and open competition system that's patients first, and I think we can reform the system very well. And I want to go to Washington and help President Trump repeal and replace Obamacare and put in a patient's first system that's on the free market system.
1: That was completely meaningless. Well,
3: I think we it. we have to allow insurance companies to compete across
0: state lines. Right now, we have monopolies within states. And then we have a limited number of bills. You know, I brought a bill in the Alabama legislature to repeal com- uh, Obamacare. And the thing we run into is, is the bill, the way current... Your current health care is designed. My wife and I have to pay for maternity care, and we don't need it. And so there's ways to customize plans that make them more affordable and that allow private sector to compete across state lines. And I'm for health savings accounts, allowing people to put money back tax-free in case they have an out-of-pocket expenditure. But certainly I support the president. You know, we were one vote short in the U.S. Senate. John McCain failed to repeal Obamacare. I watched it on TV. Well, he failed to repeal one specific provision of it. They had promised to vote to repeal. And then when John McCain had a chance to do it on the floor of the U.S. Senate, we needed his one vote and he failed us. We have to have people, we have to send people that we know are fighters and we'll do what they tell you they're going to do. All right. Thanks.
1: Okay, that was a microcosm of the difference in these two candidates. Jeff Coleman used a lot of fancy buzzwords and said absolutely nothing about what his policies would be or what they would look like or the kind of solutions that he would support. Barry Moore just in about... I think it was about two minutes gave you three specific free market solutions and then gave you a quick history lesson on the reason that we don't have that now and why people like him need to be in office that's been by far his best answer of the night and it is sharply contrasted with Jeff Coleman completely dropping the ball on it just giving a bunch of fluffy uh, buzzwords that had nothing to do with what they were talking about
3: store uh, and getting this economy back on track so I applaud uh, President Trump and the effort to move forward safely, uh, do what we can to get uh, you know, uh, a vaccine and, uh, and drugs that will allow us to survive this, uh, this, uh, this China virus is what we're seeing now. And so I think it's very important that we keep our economy open, but we do that safely and we all follow the guidelines, the social distancing, the physical distancing, wearing a mask, being respectful of our fellow man and being a humanitarian as we go out in public and doing everything we can but our businesses suffered greatly. It's been a very difficult period for our country, for our world, it's Been a lot of lives lost and we've got to do everything we can to be safe and reopen this economy and get our, get our country back on track. Mr. Moore.
0: You know, President Trump early on, he banned travel from China and then shortly thereafter Europe. President Trump has done a wonderful job in leading the way. Each week, I was, we, we were getting emails from his office on what we were doing to go forward and how we could address the issues of coronavirus. It was unlike anything we had ever seen. Initially, they told us two weeks, let's flatten the curve. We have not had one loss in the U.S. from lack of a ventilator. So we know that our system is working. We know that it is in place. We have tested more people than any nation in the world. We've tested 15 million. The president is doing the job that he needs to do. I think we need to start opening the nation back up. I had a video shortly after that said open Alabama.
1: He was one of the very first ones.
0: Use your head. If you're sick, stay home. But we can build herd immunity. Our immune systems will allow that. But I understand if someone's sick, they need My dad stayed back a little bit. He had some long problems early on in life from picking peanuts, and he had pneumonia time and time again from picking peanuts. And so he kind of had to stay back. But if you're healthy, we cannot quarantine healthy people and build immunity. That's not the way it works in a system. So we need to gradually open our nation, get back to business, do it smartly, follow the lead of some of the great governors around the country. And I think President Trump has done a wonderful job from Presidential standpoint.
2: Gentlemen, current law does not make vaccinations mandatory, but some believe they ought to be, especially after a vaccine is developed for coronavirus. Do you believe that vaccine and this others, will be interesting. Such as flu shots should be mandatory? Mr. Moore. I just became that the, uh, popcorn no, gift. I don't think it should be mandatory. I don't think
0: you'd be able to tell Americans they have to take shots. I mean, my goodness, we've had flu vaccines around for years, and people take them and still get the flu. So To tell somebody that yes you must take a vaccine you must be treated i think that's government getting into the personal lives of people i think that needs to be an individual choice maybe between that person and their physician but at the end of the day i don't think the government needs to mandate that type of medical treatment i think that needs to be a private issue between the physician
3: and the patient
1: very good answer i
3: absolutely support our liberties and freedoms as citizens of this great country and i think forcing a vaccine is is not the solution i do think we need to have wisdom and to understand the process going forward, and take a vaccine, but it's your personal decision, it's your personal responsibility, and it's your liberty as a citizen of this great country and your rights. So I believe that uh, it's your personal responsibility as we go forward. I'm thankful for for the work that President Trump's doing. I've been a strong supporter of President Trump, unlike my opponent who didn't vote for him in 2016, and I'm going to continue to do that. And I'm going to applaud you're him for what again. he does for this country. To us, move forward safely. We've got to understand those individuals that are high risk and be very careful and help those in need. Uh, and I think he's done that. But I do, uh, I do applaud him for the speed at which he's changed the government regulations for us to get a vaccine to market. Uh, it's historic in what, gov- in what President Trump's done, and I'm excited about uh, the way forward. I'm hopeful and prayerful that we do get a vaccine as soon as we can where we can all get back to work and get this economy back on track.
2: Gentlemen, there are larger cities in District Two: Montgomery, Dothan, Prattville, and Enterprise. And then there are smaller ones like Goshen and Banks, New Brockton, and Columbia. Will you promise the small municipalities that you'll visit and hear their concerns during your first term, Mr. Coleman?
3: Yes, I. This is a, what, what I've is learned about an 11-month out. journey. Now is we're a very widely disparate: 110 miles north-south, 110 miles east-west. And we've got a very diverse district, a very rural district, and those rural communities. I've been on every crossroad in all 15 counties in this great district, and we've got some wonderful people in rural Alabama. I'm going to do everything I can to help them because I am the job creator. I'm a businessman. I'm not a career politician. I want to go to Washington and get results for you, and I want to do everything I can to bring excellent, quality jobs and education to these rural areas in Alabama. And that starts wait, with a quality I'm, job. I'm not a politician. I'm Great a education, That's what I meant to say. excellent health care. And we've got to do better for rural Alabama. They've somewhat been left behind. We've got too many rural Really? Roads, how? Too many dirt roads in these uh, districts. Uh, over 50% in some counties. That's unacceptable. We can do better in this country. We can do better in this district. First of all, why is and, that uh, unacceptable?
1: Second that of all, how are you going to do that forward, as a member of the House? i do everything
3: I can to help them. big, big part of these counties are agriculture, agribusiness, and they're the heart and soul of our
1: I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand if you've got bad roads, that's a concern, but that's a local concern.
3: And actually I'm pretty comfortable around small
0: town people and mayors that I'm at home there, you know, but at the end of the day, I, I have promised to visit all those cities within the first year. I want to try to make it a point to have town halls and meet, invite our ag people, our farmers, invite our small business owners, invite our veterans, our military active duty and get to know who they are and what their needs are. Again. WE'RE GOING TO BE GETTING STARTED RELATIVELY QUICKLY AFTER WE'RE ELECTED. AND SO IT'S MY PLAN TO GET OUT, GET TO KNOW THEM, AND SERVE THEM IN ANY WAY WE CAN TO HELP THEM. WE WILL we'll BE AVAILABLE. WE WILL BE AVAILABLE. AND, and WE'RE SMALL-TOWN KIND OF PEOPLE. I'M RIGHT AT HOME uh, IN NEW BROCKTON, ALABAMA, OR UP IN Wetumpka, ALABAMA. THOSE SMALL TOWNS MATTER. THAT IS THE HEARTBEAT OF
2: AMERICA. AND THAT'S WHERE I LOVE TO BE. ALL RIGHT. THANKS A LOT, GENTLEMEN. we HAVE TO TAKE another BREAK RIGHT NOW. WE'LL BE BACK IN ABOUT 90 SECONDS.
1: All right, so a couple of things while we're uh, going through the break. First of all, one thing that is, is starkly different, and I'm going to talk about more the aesthetic stuff rather than the actual issues, because in that last segment, they wound up agreeing on just about everything. There's very little differentiation in their official positions. Now, whether or not they carry those official positions out, I don't know, because Barry Moore has an actual record that suggests that he will Jeff Coleman's much more of a question mark. But one big difference in their approaches, you can watch Jeff Coleman when he's answering and you can tell he doesn't know much about the issue, he looks down, looks up, looks down, looks up. He's having to read basically verbatim. And I can tell the difference, because I've been doing this for a long time. I can tell the difference when somebody's reading something verbatim versus just have some notes with a general idea and then start articulating it. The way that he has to look down about every five or six words and the fact that when he bump when he bundles a word, he goes back and then corrects it, that's a sign that he doesn't know the issue very well. That he's basically just reading off of a manuscript, something that he already wrote ahead of time, expecting that question. The second thing is, watch how he ends every single question. He ends it with this sort of like, alright, and pose for the camera. And then he stops. It's really weird. It's kind of offsetting. Now, Barry's not nearly as polished as him. I don't think that Barry's, frankly, as good a speaker as him, but he definitely knows the issues better.
0: Can't control. It controls them. They're not able to fight. They're not able to stand for what they believe in. But I tell you this, look at Barry Moore's track record. I was a veteran. I've served our nation. I chaired military also love how candidates refer to themselves bill in third person all the time. i military veterans than anybody in my 2010 class. You know, i served. My son-in-law's in Iraq. My brother's a retired lieutenant colonel. I have an ag science degree. I grew up on a farm. I understand what it's like to row crop peanuts and to lay irrigation pipe and to pull weeds. I've done that. I've had the dirt under my fingernails from that 40-acre field. And not only that, to endorse Donald Trump when nobody else would, I was the first in the nation to endorse him. I was a Trump delegate, and I caught a lot of heat for that, but at the end of the day, I stood Some of for it for me. I fought for him. I was a Trump delegate and I attended his, his inauguration to celebrate that great fight for America and that win for our nation. I term limited myself and was labeled the most dependable conservative vote in the Alabama legislature. So this year, 2020, is hindsight. Look at what I've done. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do, but I ask you for your vote, and I promise you, you know the president needs the help. I've never wavered. I've always supported him. I will continue that fight for America. For that Constitution and the freedoms we so enjoy and love.
2: Mr. Coleman. It's
3: been a great evening. I'm Jeff Coleman, and I'm a businessman. I'm not a career politician. And I will never let you down. I'm going to do everything I can. I'll never sell you out to a Washington Insider uh, political action super PAC. Uh, I think it's wrong in what they do. It's despicable in how they've operated in this race in the last three weeks. And we can do better. Don't you have a super PAC? These career politicians. And that's exactly why I'm running for this office, never done it before. I've met over 1,800 weekly payrolls. I'm a 36-year businessman, 452 monthly PNLs. I am the job creator in this race. I'm an outsider, and I want to go to Washington to make a positive difference, serve our great country. And that's for you, and I want to get results for you. And I think that's very, very important, that we reject these career politicians that we've got up there. I'm just like President Trump. I voted for him. I've contributed to him, I, and that's absolute truth. Along and with I'm Democrats. i everything I can as a conservative, Alabama conservative values Republican to go represent you in Congress, to fight for our military, to fight for our farmers, rather than sell out our farmers, just like Judas did in the Bible. It's very, very. I'm very sorry that I've seen this sellout that's occurred in the last few weeks. It's very important that you know that. Jeff Coleman's a fighter for our farmers, for our military, and for our business and industry. I've been endorsed by a number of groups, the Alabama Farmers Federation, Farm Pact, United States Chamber of Commerce, and I'm proud of, and of many, many local mayors that are supporting me. And we're going to do everything we can to go to Washington, serve you with
2: honor, care, respect, humility. Thank you, and God bless y'all. Gentlemen, thank both of you tonight Steve. for your time and Smile your participation in this debate. We hope that our viewers have gleaned something from this and that they will be able to use it as they head to the polls a week from today. If you'd like to go back and re-watch uh, this debate, you can do that on our website, WTVY.com. The debate will also re-air this weekend, Saturday at 6 p.m. on WRGX, and then well, Sunday at the WTVY.com. Seriously WTBI. though, WTBI. I appreciate 11, that they're doing this. 18. I really do. Taylor? All
1: right, Reg, thanks a lot. Well, that'll do it for our congressional debate. Again, thank you for joining right. us. We'll see you back here at 10. Okay, so what we're going to do is, since that's the end of it, give me just a second here, and I'll go ahead and shift. Sorry, took me a second there. All right, uh, I'm going to give my reaction to it here in just a second. Give me one moment. Uh,
0: this is a News Radio 1440 podcast.
1: So here's basically my summary of everything for the night. But uh, the the big thing that I take away from it. Uh, is you've got Jeff Coleman, who, by everything that I have seen so far, he's very polished, he's an eloquent speaker, but it's mostly empty buzzwords. It, occasionally he does say something of substance. And I don't think that he's a, an unintelligent individual by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think the guy's dumb or anything, but I think that he what you saw there, is a stark contrast between somebody that's a bit of a technocrat, M. Barry, not quite as charismatic, not quite as uh, fun to watch speak, but actually knows his stuff. Versus your Jeff Coleman, who basically just throws out a bunch of words that he knows that people are going to be drawn to, and then that's it there's nothing underlying it so if I were to give a great because I one thing that's sort of a tell of this is he had two major line of attacks lines of attack against uh, Barry Moore who to my knowledge I don't think he ever attacked Jeff Coleman at any point in that debate maybe I missed it maybe it was in one of the parts where I was talking versus listening but I don't remember him actually saying anything against Jeff Coleman you you saw several attacks there from the other side and Jeff Coleman's attacks revolved around two basic things one which I already described in one of the breaks about how he didn't vote for President Trump in 2016 which again he was a representative for the state and he had to choose between making a symbolic vote for Trump that would not help him that would not help his constituents that would not help President Trump get elected and doing the business of the people as a representative well, if I have to pick between somebody who made a symbolic vote and somebody that actually did something that makes a difference, I'm going with that guy. Perfect example, and I'm going to give a, a little bit of a personal example here. When I was in FFA, there are 12 candidates, there were only 11 in my year, but there are 12 candidates that can be submitted by the districts to be a state officer. Now, I was actually late for one of my interviews, and that reflected poorly on me and hurt my score. The thing that the judges didn't bother to check with anybody about is the reason that I was late, which is I was in the state finals for an FFA competition. And so it was really easy for all of the other guys there. It was super, super easy for them to be on time because they weren't involved in the organization in other ways. They didn't make it to the state level of competition. And somehow I got punished for being more involved with the organization than my opponents. That seems to be pretty much a one-to-one comparison of what you just saw in the argument that somehow Barry Moore isn't a strong enough Trump supporter. I don't like the fact that it has largely become a comparison of who likes Trump more. I think that's a dumb way to measure a candidate. I think that it's stupid that virtually every Republican primary has come down to that. But this is one of the dumbest lines of attack that I've ever heard that you're going to uh, use that as a a slight against Barry Moore because he was actually out there doing the job his constituents elected him to do rather than making an entirely symbolic vote versus the guy that wasn't doing any of that because he wasn't elected and had no responsibilities to constituents because at the time he didn't have any and made the symbolic vote for President Trump. That's ridiculous. It, it's one of the dumbest lines of attack that you could have. And then the second part of that is, well, I'm not a career politician. There are a lot of politicians where even if I wind up disagreeing because I don't think being, quote unquote, a career politician should be an automatic uh, dismissal or, or that anybody that's not a politician, that person's going to get my vote over somebody that is a politician. That, that, that's faulty logic. It's really bad. I mean... Uh, you could find a random hobo on the, on the street that has a sixth grade education. He's not a career politician. That doesn't mean he should win an election against somebody that's been in the the House or the Senate for 10 or 20 years. That's a dumb argument. It it doesn't actually say anything substantive about the difference between these two candidates. However, Barry Moore is one of the dumbest people you could use this l- line of attack on. I'm not saying that Barry Moore is dumb. I'm saying it's dumb to use that line of attack against him because... He's somebody that went in saying that I don't want to make this into a career and said, in fact, I'm even going to limit myself. I'm going to get out of here in eight years. And he did. He actually did that. You have a track record of him saying, I don't want to turn this into a career and then followed up and actually followed through with it. It's it's so stupid to use that as your line of attack against him especially when, because you remember we had a question in this thing about term limits. They asked Barry Moore if he would limit himself on the national stage as well. And he said, I don't want to pin down a number just yet, but I'm thinking probably about 10 years. So five terms, because each term lasts two years. He says, I'm thinking that 10 years is enough. And then the other guy, Jeff Coleman, saying, oh, just as long as it's going to be there, I would support a term limit bill. He's saying that because he knows he's never going to have to follow up on it. He knows that nobody is ever going to actually vote for that in the Senate. The only way we could do that is a convention of states. But he's making an empty promise there because he knows that's never going to come to fruition. He's never going to have to call on it. But even then, he says, well, I'm not going to limit myself. I'm just going to stay up there as long as I need to. And so it's so hilarious saying that guy who's saying I'm going to, has already done it once and saying that I'm going to term limit myself. That guy's the career politician that you need to watch out for becoming a swamp person. I'm not going to do that, but also he's the swamp person. It truly doesn't make any sense. So to sum up everything that I've said and everything that I've seen in this debate, what you have a choice between is a cowboy and a guy that owns a cowboy hat. Now, I'm not saying that Barry Moore is a, an actual cowboy, even though he does have a ag degree. I don't know like, if he actually raises livestock or not. What I'm saying is, it's kind of like the difference between a person that is an actual cowboy and a person that has a cowboy hat. It's the difference between somebody that's like a construction worker with a, a, a big diesel um, one-ton pickup truck and somebody that just owns a tricked-out pickup truck that has underglow and lights and is, you know, raised up and all that stuff. You've got a guy that actually functionally knows the job. He's been there before. He knows what he's doing. He actually knows the issues versus a guy that does a pretty good job of pretending that he knows what he's doing. He's really good at using a bunch of fancy buzzwords. He starts out every answer with, well, I support President Trump. Well, I support President Trump. Whatever President Trump thinks, that's what I'm going to do. He's trying to make himself into a carbon copy. Now, Barry Moore has a, a seamless record of supporting President Trump. That's actually something that he and I disagreed on at the time. So I'm not saying that even is necessarily a good thing, but the difference is Barry Moore does think for himself. He has his own ideas. And I'm predicting, just based on what I saw in that debate and what I've seen in the campaign up to this point, that Jeff Coleman is basically Martha Roby 2.0. That if Jeff Coleman does get elected, that what you are going to see is that he is going to be a warm body that sits in a chair and votes however the Republican leadership tells them to vote at the time. Yes to every spending measure, yes to every bailout, yes to everything that the Republican Party says is okay to vote for, and occasionally we'll make a symbolic vote to repeal Obamacare when we know that it's not going to make a difference, or we'll occasionally make a symbolic vote to defund Planned Parenthood even though we know it's not going to go anywhere in the Senate. Barry Moore would actually be somebody that is in the Freedom Caucus that wants to get things done. I think that the it's, it's a crystal clear... Distinction here. You can get somebody that is like a Martha Roby that basically just, uh, they're going to have an A rating with the NRA and they're going to have an A rating with the National Right to Life. But beyond that, there's going to be no indication that they're an actual conservative. We're going to get out of Jeff Coleman, I'm predicting just based on what I've seen, because the same thing happened with Martha Roby. We're going to get somebody that has a garbage Liberty score that winds up voting with the Democrats about as often as they vote with the Republicans, that doesn't make a difference, sits on the the chair for a couple of years, probably even runs for a higher office, maybe guns for the governor or lieutenant governor or something, and sees this merely as a stepping stone, not a point of public service. Barry Moore, we know who he is. He is a known quantity. Because he was a reliably conservative vote with a record that we can see and, and actually know how he's going to be at the national level. I mean, to me, you, you may see it differently, and that's fine. But to me, it could not be more crystal clear who the right choice is for District 2 of Alabama. That's my two cents on it. That's going to be our show for this evening. Thank you so much for joining us for our live coverage. We will see you later on this week, probably tomorrow. Uh, We're kind of restructuring some things on the show, so before we go, I'll just give you a little inside baseball on this. We took a little freedom break yesterday because we had been going for so long and, and frankly, just needed a day off. Uh, I'm looking at changing the format of the show here soon and actually doing some things that I think will really improve the quality of the show Uh, more news on that probably in the next couple of weeks. So we will definitely keep you up to date on that. And we are going to keep you up to date. Uh, We may even take some time off after the election, but hopefully if everything goes the way it should, and it should, if everything goes correctly, that we will continue to have shows up until the 14th, up until election day, and probably the day after to give you some of the fallout and some of the reaction. And after that, then we may have to take a break and, and go off the air for a little bit, but we will get back to you as soon as we can. Thank you guys so much for watching this evening, and thank you to WTVY and Dothan for hosting this event. We will see you later. In the meantime, stay the course, friends.
0: Tactics with Caleb Colquitt. Only on News Radio 1440 and NewsRadio1440.com.